Hello and welcome to the Yay Yoga podcast. I'm Renee Liu. You may know me as a yoga teacher and today I'm the host of this podcast where I talk to the most inspiring teachers from around the world about their yoga journey. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Sebastian Pagano. He's a strength and flexibility coach from Amsterdam. And as you may already guess, the main topic of our conversation is flexibility. Some of the things we discuss are the misconceptions about flexibility, the difference between mobility and flexibility, different types of stretching, the role of genetics, and whether yin yoga is an effective method of increasing your flexibility. As always, find the show notes on my website, yayoga.nl, and enjoy. My guest today is a very special one to me, um, because he's my boyfriend, Sebastian Pagano. And I just want to underscore that the main reason why we're sitting here today is not that we're in a relationship, but because I invite people on this podcast, people that inspire me, teachers that inspire me, and you are definitely one of my greatest inspirations. Um, And we talk so much about all things movement and flexibility. And you are coaching me and learning me so many new things. And I think that these in-depth conversations that we have are very valuable, not just for me, but I want to share it with more people. And so that's why we're here today, to discuss these topics that are so valuable. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Welcome. Well, thank you. That is uh, quite an opener. (laughs) I'm a bit speechless already. No, thank you very much. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Very honored to be in your podcast. Yeah. Maybe you can start by introducing yourself and explain a bit about the work that you are doing right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my name is Sebastian. I am a strength and flexibility coach from Amsterdam. I have always been a very physical being, been doing a lot of climbing in trees, fighting, uh, skateboarding, jumping off stuff, whatever you can imagine when I was younger. Um, started getting quite obsessed with surfing at one point, started working in surf camps, surf schools in my teenage years and just teaching myself how to move, doing flips on the beach, doing handstands, learning myself to do backflips, how to climb stuff, whatever you can imagine. And um, I really started getting into interested in flexibility work when I was around 18, 20. Uh, there wasn't much available to go after, so the only thing I was really, really could connect with was the yoga world so that was my first entrance in that um, started practicing yoga I was in Australia at that time just at a, at a local school did a lot for me uh, not just on the physical aspect but also mentally and spiritually um, got way way involved in that started buying books about that started doing teacher trainings doing kundalini teacher trainings um, at one point though, I did realize that it was limited just from a flexibility perspective, that it only took me so far that I wanted to get more results. So I started looking around the internet, um, started thinking about different approaches, martial arts approaches to flexibility, gymnastic approaches, um, became true books, podcasts, um, articles. I found guys like Emmett Lewis, Kit Laughlin, Dan Van Zandt, uh, Thomas Kurtz, you name them. 
and um, yeah, I started developing myself as a flexibility coach and doing a lot of bodyweight strength as well. Nowadays, I'm a head coach of a local gym in Amsterdam called the Gymlokaal. I work with a lot of one-on-one -on -one clients as well, and I've seen people just going from very, very poor flexibility to getting full front splits, side splits, pancakes, thoracic bridges, like really, um, yeah, really sloped on the methods I'm working with at the moment. So that's a bit about me. Yeah, um, we'll definitely dive into flexibility methods that you are using and that uh, are so efficient. Um, but you've already mentioned that you've done the Kundalini Yoga teacher training. Obviously, this is the Yay Yoga podcast. So um, a question that I ask to everyone is what yoga means to you. Right. Um, good question. Yoga means a lot to me in the, um, in the sense that it was kind of my gateway into this new holistic way of training. Uh, and like I said, even though the physical practice itself, I mean, yoga is a very broad term, so it can mean a lot of different practices, but just in general, being very general now, there's, um, there's limitations to the physical practice, but just as a way of, you know, it helped me through emotional times as well, and it helped me with my mind, just, um, yeah, it's done a lot for me on a personal level. And like I said, it opened me up to, um, to different ways of thinking. Mm. Are there certain aspects of yoga Maybe not the physical practice, maybe not the yoga asana practice, but the other aspects of yoga that you still incorporate in your daily life? Again, um, yoga is a very broad term, especially in that sense. But I'm doing some pranayamas daily, I'm doing some reading work, I'm trying to do a bit of mindfulness, very bad at meditation. Main thing for me just to keep connect to my spirit is just by moving my body around and doing physical practice. But um, yeah, incorporated in some level, I suppose, definitely. Yeah, and walking. Walking can be a meditative practice as well. Score, got that one. <laughs> I like to walk. Good. <laughs> so, um, you've already told us a little bit about your journey towards where you're now. Um, and so one of the, the main things as we as we just heard your story, is really a search of the most efficient way, efficient way of training flexibility, right? Absolutely, yeah. And so... It's become a bit of an obsession. Yeah. <laughs> and right now, I think flexibility is very popular in many movement uh, disciplines. You see a lot of um, people talking about flexibility and they mainly use the term mobility to describe a flexibility training. Right, yes. Um, now, what is mobility and what is flexibility? Straight down the rabbit hole. Yes. All right, so this is actually a pretty big one at the moment. So, um, all right, how to start this off. So basically, we want to mainly be thinking about the term flexibility. That's the work I like to do. Um, flexibility is just, uh, you can measure the linear units. So in centimeters or inches, it's how far you can go into a stretch or what your range of motion is. It's not just uh, measured in those results. You can also measure it and it doesn't become easier to go somewhere. Uh, well, that is flexibility and there's different ways of training that. So there's four different ways. We got dynamic active flexibility, static active, dynamic passive and static passive. It's actually very easy. It's not as hard as it sounds. 
it has to do with two things. It has to do with whether uh, the joints move, so that's the static or the dynamic part, and it has to do whether the muscles contract or not, so that it's the active or the passive. And yeah, if you combine those, there's four options. So again, that's dynamic active, static active, dynamic passive, and static passive. And flexibility, especially in the strength world, so in the fitness industry has become a bit, especially in the 90s, become a bit of a, of a tricky term, like people, are not really schooled in it, maybe a bit intimidated by it. A couple of bad research papers um, show that it's not good for sport performance, which is false. And it has, in popular terms in the industry, mainly been uh, coupled on the passive side, so passive stretching. So a lot of people think flexibility is passive stretching and mobility is active uh, stretching, which is completely false. Um, that's not what mobility is. Mobility is a term which is, um, well, Dan Van Zandt puts it easiest. He, by the way, sorry, I'm going a bit of a sidetrack, but he does a very good podcast on all the science-based stuff about flexibility. So maybe you can put that in your show notes. But he uh, explains mobility is how well a joint moves. So it's a subjective measurement about the quality of the movement, which depends on the purpose or the sport you're doing. A way less confusing term for this would be movement quality or movement competency. But uh, flexibility is what you're normally actually doing when you're saying we're doing mobility training. So when someone is like, oh, I don't like to do flexibility training, I do mobility training. Normally, what those coaches mean is, okay, we're doing active flexibility work and we don't like passive flexibility work. So they have their terms confused. That's the one you hear most. So people use the mobility term because it's quite a fashionable word now in a lot of ways, and I use it myself, I teach classes called mobility, just there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to know what the terms mean. So if you go to a coach, and I saw this the other day on Instagram, a coach in Dutch, I'm not gonna name names, but I saw a coach who um, was a bit esteemed and has a following, and he had a whole post about why I teach my clients mobility and not flexibility. And basically he was, he was talking about um, what he was describing as mobility, active flexibility versus passive flexibility. And he just had his terms confused, which for me is like, all right, if you don't know your terms, um, you know, you might want to reconsider training with a person like that, someone who doesn't know their basic terms. But there's a lot of confusions about this, to be honest, in the industry at the moment. So again, basically, uh, if you hear people talk about mobility in the industry, most of the time, just to keep it easy, because I'm already going way down this, they mean active flexibility. And that is just one bit of flexibility training. It's not better than passive flexibility. It's just a bit that's a bit feels a bit safer to um, to people coming from the strength perspective, especially. I kind of answer your question. Yeah, just to summarize it. So mobility is when we talk about moving the body. Yeah. So in general. Yeah. And flexibility is just about stretching muscles and there are different types of stretching including active and passive stretching beautiful exactly yeah. so flexibility is about increasing range of motion like how far can we uh like in biomechanics how does the range of motion of a body and a body just means an object move uh we measure that with flexibility and that's what again you can measure that in centimeters like am i going deeper in a split but you can also measure that by all right i'm going the same depth but it hurts less that's we also consider that a gain in flexibility training because you're actually getting better even though you're not actually getting deeper. So that's not the only way to measure that. And mobility, to just say it really easy, is a measurement of uh, movement quality. 
It's, uh, if you want to learn all about this, I'd really recommend listening to Dan Van Zandt's podcast. It gets a bit dry. It's really about all the research papers and the literature. But um, yeah, no one, I think, is as on top of this stuff as he is. It's in general, just um, the research and everything and the myths about flexibility, it's, they're quite behind on other components of human movement. So, you know, all the stuff we know a lot about strength training, we know a lot about cardio training, endurance training, a lot about speed training. Um, flexibility is, is a bit behind uh, in a science perspective when it comes to those things. Yeah, and should we also talk about the four different types of stretching? Yeah, sure. You, you've already mentioned yeah. the four types. Maybe it's interesting for people to hear some examples. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, first of all, we can, let's make it simple. So, we, we're going to do different stretches. I'm not saying one is better than the other. You probably want to do all of them, but in the right order. And depending on what your sport or your goal is, you might want to emphasis, emphasis more one more than the other. So we got dynamic and static, just leaving the passive and active out of it. So dynamic is when you're moving. So when I'm kicking my legs up in the air, that's a dynamic stretch. It's an active dynamic stretch because I'm kicking it up in the air. Um, when I'm leaning forward, like standing for pike, standing forward fold, that is a static uh, stretch for my hamstrings because I'm not moving, right? And then we got active and passive. So uh, again, a dynamic active stretch, for example, would be kicking my legs up in the air. Dynamic passive stretch would be me uh, on the table uh, with a therapist or a physiotherapist and they're moving my leg back and forth. So it's still dynamic, but I'm not actually contracting my muscles doing the work. So that's dynamic, um, active, dynamic, passive. Static, you can do active and passive as well. So uh, a very famous static passive stretch is a middle split, for example, when you're sitting all the way on the ground. At that point, it becomes static. But if you're doing isometric holds, so if you're Imagine you're in your socks on the slippery floor and you're sliding down with your legs apart. And then at one point, you're really going to need to kind of squeeze your doctors, your thigh muscles and your glutes to not sink down too deep. We call this an isometric contraction. At this point, you're not moving, but you are really contracting your muscles. So we would call that a static uh, active stretch. So that's static active and static passive. So once again, if these terms are new for you, you're going to be super confused, but it's really, really not that difficult. Uh, there's two, there's four things you can do. You can move, you cannot move a muscle in a joint. You can contract a muscle or you can be passive in the muscle and just getting all variations through that. So we've got dynamic active, static active, dynamic passive, static passive. There's four main categories where you can um, subdivide flexibility training in. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I also will share a video that explains it better. Um, Excellent. <laughs> so you. that people can <laughs> not better, but just so no, that no, people no, can can can, yeah. <laughs> can see that as well. Because yeah. it is it's it's a lot like if it's it's new to you all these exactly. terms. It's a lot. It might sound like what's he talking about, but it's actually yeah. a lot easier than I'm making it sound right now. So share that video, it's probably a good thing. No, but it, this was a quick explanation actually. Thank you. <laughs> But so, I think just just to say, like those guys I named in the intro, like guys like Emmett Lewis, Dan Van Zanten in a couple of times, Lucas Aris, a guy I'm training on right now, they're going to bring the term flexibility back. And you see, um, yeah, I predict a comeback of that term. Mm. Mobility is going to fade away slowly and people are going to call stuff what it is because we're just developing and knowledge is growing as well. Globally. Yeah, and I also think that people that um, use the term mobility to describe an active way of stretching 
they probably just haven't seen the research that's out there and the ter- they are just confusing terms, probably not on purpose. Oh, absolutely not on purpose. It's just, um, see, that's maybe a bit of a pet peeve of me, but uh, if you are someone who were saying, okay, so you're, you're a coach, you're a trainer, so you have students, you're source of information, people believe what you say, and then you write a whole article on Instagram or wherever, and using false term terminology, that's hurtful, because the better we understand what we're doing, the better results we're gonna get. So, especially from trainers and coaches who teach this material, again, use the terms. Like, uh, I know enough coaches who know exactly what they're talking about, and they'll use the term mobility, which is fine, but you gotta at least understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah, we just get all that disinformation into the world, and it's gonna be harmful. Yeah, it just reminds me of how we always end in yoga classes, we always, well, not everyone, but most of us in the West end our classes saying namaste. And I know that a lot of Indians uh, don't really like us using that term because we often translate it as I see the light in you, you see the light in me. Whereas it actually just is a way of saying hello to elderly people. You know, and so if you know that and you still use that term, that's fine. Then it's a conscious decision. If you don't know it, and you use it, yeah. See, that's the difference. Y- you I'm don't know what you know, don't know. Yeah. And that's actually what I'm trying to say. So this is a good segue into yoga again, because um, especially in Yin yoga, Yin yoga is passive stretching. Now you know that I'm not a big fan of passive stretching of yin yoga i was gonna say anything but (laughs) yes um just because it doesn't feel good in my body you just lost all your yin yoga listeners (laughs) i love it from the the for the mind the mind aspect of it right the meditative aspect of it but for me physically it's just not working because i'm very flexible i tend to hang in my joints when i do Right. A passive stretch. For so I an think hour. you and I are very different body types. I'm quite a heavy, uh, muscular guy. I weigh 100 kilos. I'm six two. I've done yin for many years and actually had a good experience with it. But um, I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, continue your question. Sorry for an interruption. Um, yeah, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on practicing yin yoga as a way of gaining more flexibility. Right, yin yoga specifically. Um. um yeah, yeah, let's start with yin yoga. Yeah, so it all depends. That's always the best answer to all these things. It mm. depends on so many variables. But in general, and I'm gonna make a, a bit of a blanket statement right now, if you're looking to increase your uh, flexibility and really push your end range and increase your range of motion and get into these massive positions like front split, side split, thoracic bridges, you name it, yoga is for most people not gonna be the most effective way to get there. For most adults, that is. Right, right. Kids, totally different subject. Kids don't need that much. You see kids roll into gymnastics, dance, martial arts class at six-year-old, not really doing any structural training that would ever work on adults, come out at 16 and be able to go on over splits and be able to do contortions-like stuff because they're just the young body adapted really good to that. Adult body doesn't work that way. So I'm talking about training with adults, flexibility specifically. Um, yoga is for most people not going to be um, if that's the goal so nothing against yoga there's many benefits to yoga but if your specific goal is to increase, increase your range of motion get these massive displays of flexibility really push that 
there's way more efficient and smarter ways of training that. But to go back to your question about yin yoga, again, um, there is a couple of really good poses which come from the yoga world. Poses like uh, frog pose or pigeon pose, which uh, a lot of modern flexibility methods have adapted. I know uh, Kit Laughlin, for example, has, uh, they call it the piriformis pose then, so it goes for that piriformis muscle, which is in your glute. It's a very tight muscle to stretch. But if you do a pigeon the right way, um, that's a very, very effective pose. But there's a couple of big, big buts. First of all, um, when they do the pigeon in yoga, often the shin position is wrong. So you need to have that shin at least 90 degrees uh, forward to really get that optimum stretch in the piriformis. And I've hardly ever seen anyone do this right, even really good teachers in the yin scene. So that goes, the whole benefit of that stretch goes away. And even if you do that, uh, you can keep it passive. So just hang out there for three minutes. Or you can do, and this is the way Kit Laughlin does, for example, start doing isometric contractions there. So really try agonistic or antagonistic contractions, really squeeze those muscles you're working and let go. And um, yeah, so, and that's the same with frog pose. So frog pose, you can just hang out there or imagine you're in a frog pose and you really try and push your knees together into the ground for 10 seconds, really, really hard. You breathe in, you actually let go and you sink a bit deeper. That's that contract relax method or PNF, or there's, there's many different names, but that's all um, different intense same poses. So there are some really interesting poses, but it's with everything, you have to do it right, you have to know who to prescribe it to, at one point in your workout, do you want to do this, and with what intent. Good. Um, yeah, I guess, let's talk about active flexibility. Yeah. Very important. Because um, that really, some methods that you showed me yeah. have really opened my eyes. Because okay. I am already flexible. Yeah. So um, you have very, very good genetics. So you're one of the few people who are very flexible from themselves. So for people like you, you might be one of the exceptions for which yoga is actually quite good to just grease the groove and keep that uh, range already half and maybe even expand it a bit because you're, you're, you're just built in a very flexible way. But what, which ones are you talking about specifically now? Um, the ballistic stretching. Hmm. Um, right, the head to toe. Yeah, the head to toe. Yeah. And also the one that we practiced in pancake. In the pancake. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, um, well, that's a bit of a sidetrack. So let's <laughs> circle back to active flexibility, but talk about the ballistic, which is, um, which is something awesome. Um, if you don't know this, just look up Head to Toe Emmett Lewis on YouTube. You're going to share some links as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the one I learned this from. And it's basically, you're going to use pulsing techniques. You're going to use momentum to really push your end range. It's a super aggressive stretching technique, um, which has um, risks and benefits of it. So if it works, you can massively increase your range in quite a short time. But there's a, there's a risk of injury as well, you know, you have to be smart about it. It's, it's not a safe stretch, it's, it's an intense stretch. But it's one um, I often do, it, it, it's one that creates a lot of buy-in in my opinion. So when I work with new clients or clients who want to work flexibility but come from maybe strength protocols or something else and ballistic stretching is one of the ones they do that and they're hooked, they're like, oh wow, I'm hurt for three days, like delayed onset muscle soreness, like, oh my God, I've never been able to touch my toes. Like it, it opens them up to a new way of approaching stretching. So um, if you've never heard of ballistic stretching, look that up, be careful, especially that I'm at Lewis on YouTube. 
And active flexibility, to circle back to that, that is basically showing that you can um, perform strength in those end range positions. So um, I was actually on a Zoom call over the weekend with the range of strength, it's something I'm doing with Lucas, Aros, uh, Lucas Aaron, excuse me. And, um, and someone else was talking, who was Keegan was talking, and he, he said a, a Charles Pollockon quote, he said, strength is gained in the range it's trained. And that's pretty much that sums it up. So if you're gonna be doing a push up or a pull up, and you're just doing 50% of the movement, that's where you're gonna have training. As soon as you extend your arms, get those shoulders in for traction, or get your chest to the ground in a push up, you're not gonna be strong there. And that's always like where the easiest strength is to be developed in the middle, in the mid range. So if I got my arm, you can't see it because we're doing audio, but I got like kind of like squeezing my bicep halfway, that's where I'm gonna be strong. If I'm extending my arm all the way, that's where I'm going to be weak. And if I'm going for the inner range, if I'm really bending my arm, that's also where I'm going to be weak. So that extreme inner and outer range, that's uh, if you're creating strength and security there, then your body is going to be able to go there. So if you want to create splits or you want to just slide down into splits, front splits, side splits, or do whatever you want, first, you need to have really strong musculature around that position. So your body is not going to protect you from going down there. So flexibility training in that sense is a lot of strength training. A lot of the flexibility, modern flexibility methods you'll see is actually, it might look a lot like strength training and programming for that. Yeah. It's I mean, a bit like the middle split stuff we're doing with isometrics. I was gonna say, like yeah. maybe, maybe you can talk the listeners a little bit through the middle split training that we are doing now, um, where I already have a very deep passive range exactly. of motion yeah like i can go very deep into that side split but can i hold it there no you're not able to no. much strain there which is the issue for you mm -hmm. so we're working with some protocols i've learned from uh lucas aaron shout out to him he's one of the guys i'm actually learning a lot from him at the moment he is um he's uh very very good at programming um uh, flexibility work one of the best i've seen um, and he has some really good tricks for the hips. He has a really mean side split himself. But um, yeah, so passive and active range. Your passive range is always going to be much or bigger at least than your active range. You want to close that gap as much as you can to prevent injuries, but you're always going to be able to go deeper in the passive range than the active range. So that's completely normal. But we want to get an active range a lot closer to the passive range. So we're doing that through isometrics, through adductor lifts, to kind of strength. Uh, exercise in those muscles to kind of be able to show force in those end ranges. Yeah, and so compared to passive stretching methods, where you often, where I, let's just keep it um, simple, for me personally, I tend to really hang in yeah. that stretch. And so the active stretching methods really push me to gather, to hold myself together. I yeah. think that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something which cannot be emphasis enough how important it is, especially I think for people who have uh, more flexible genetics, maybe even a bit hypermobile, will have more tendency to really push that end range into quite impressive positions without doing much work. Those are the people who benefit, everyone does, but benefit most from really doing some active flexibility work on the side 
to strengthen uh, strengthen that musculature. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, we've talked about ballistic stretching a bit, um, and you've obviously invested a lot of time in exploring and researching different methods on increasing flexibility. What would you say is the best method for adults? Right, that's a very good question, actually. Um, so I'm not I'm not a researcher myself. Just to <laughs> give that little disclaimer, I just um, through really really searching through the internet and practicing a hundred things on my own body and on my clients. I've learned and reading books. I've learned stuff, but everything I'm I'm telling you, I've uh, taken collected from other big influential figures. But um, for adults, just the fastest way to uh, get results is isometric stretching. That's just uh, scientifically proven to be 0.5 to three times faster than any other method to gain range. So that's just the fastest method to gain range. But um, yeah, the honest answer is you wanna do a combination of everything. So we had those four subcategories of flexibility. You wanna be able to do everything and know what order to do it in and what frequency and if you really want to take it to the next level, you want to get a good flexibility coach. You know, there's, they're hard to come by now, but there's a couple worldwide. And you want someone to help you with that programming. Because just doing isometric stretching is not going to be enough. You also need to do your passive stretching. Passive stretching also has a good value. So we're, it sounds like we're kind of dissing on passive stretching. Passive stretching is really, really um, important. Even just to consider the fact we just said about isometric stretching, um, that that's the fastest way you can create new range, there's a general rule, the faster something is developed, the faster it will be uh, lost when training stops. So um, opposite to that, passive flexibility, whilst it might take much longer to develop, has a more chronic, long-lasting effect, and it takes longer to disappear when the person stops stretching. Uh, basically, you just want to do all of that, and you want to get help from someone who understands it. And um, yeah, don't be mistaken. That's another good thing if we're talking about adults. By um, finding a coach who might be an ex-dancer, an ex-ballet dancer, an ex-gymnast, or someone who has an amazing display of flexibility themselves, which they, most of those, which I know from my experience, uh, are actually horrible flexibility coaches. I know there's actually a couple of really good exceptions and it's not impossible, but the reason that is like that is because they're normally thrown into programs from when they're like six years old, just doing stuff, really prepping that body and the approach you need to get a little kid flexible is completely different than that for an adult. So they don't really, uh, they didn't have to put skin in the game. They didn't have to go through that. See, I didn't really start this until I was in my mid twenties and I couldn't really touch my toes and now I've got full splits, pancakes, all that stuff. I had to go through that stuff um, and learn it and that's the stuff I can bring to my clients and those are from my experience some of the most interesting trainers I know for for this kind of stuff yeah that's a really good thing that you're pointing that out because I um, that's actually something I struggle with when I'm teaching is because I have a dance background I've always been flexible I have the genetics we'll talk about the genetics as well um, I have the genetics kind of lean, long muscles. Yeah. So for me, um, flexibility has never really been a focus point in my practice. I mean, it is now. Yeah, 
that well, you are going is, to meet. Yeah, you're just trying to push it to the next. Your starting point is already sublime. Yeah. But it's a very so, important thing that someone's been to the struggle. It's not the only way to become a great coach, but for people, um, yeah, if you you had to go through all that stuff yourself and try those techniques and feel the difference and experience that, that's a very valuable tool to share with some of your clients, you know, who have to go through that as well. Yeah, because you're teaching from experience then. It's the same with if you have a knee injury and you've overcome that injury, um, you will be the best coach for students with that same kind of injury. Precisely. You know? yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I have noticed that sometimes in my classes I, I am teaching people who are very stiff and, uh, and, and I just, um, in preparing my classes, I just forgot that, that people have different bodies and different body types. It's very important. Yeah, it is so important. important, yeah. yeah. Especially when you're working with adults. Mm, yeah. So maybe this is a good segue into the topic of genetics. When it comes to training flexibility, you already mentioned that you don't really have the body type where flexibility comes easy. Be careful where you go now. <laughs> um, yeah, you, <laughs> well, maybe you can just talk about your own body. No, 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 continue. Um, well, my question, I guess, is, again, as a yoga teacher, I often get the reaction of people that say, oh yeah, yoga is not for me because I'm just not flexible. Right. And yeah. as, a co- as a coach, you've probably heard that as well. Many, many times. Yeah. So um, to what extent do genetics actually play a role in achieving certain flexibility or movement goals? Right. All right. So before I get into that, <laughs> that thing you just said, like yoga is not for me because I'm not flexible. That's that's one of the weirdest things to me that people say. Mm. That's like uh, I cannot go swimming and therefore I should not get swimming classes. That's ridiculous. The stuff you're not good at is probably the stuff you should practice. That's one of the reasons I got into flexibility because I picked up strength goals quite easily. I just really my body is just, you know, I look at that weight and I'm already picking a muscle and flexibility wasn't that easy and that's you know that's anyone who thinks like oh i'm not flexible those are the people who should look at getting flexibility training because it's a very vital human uh skill so that's that that whole logic is very very strange to Mm. start with yeah then genetics all right i am not a um an expert on the field of genetics but just to keep that really short and, and keep it interesting you can have uh, genetic limitations, of course, especially structural ones, so skeletal ones. Sometimes, like, uh, the male hips look different than the female hips, so, you know, and you can have everywhere, through the whole body, there can be limitations through whatever factors. Uh, however, more often, I see people use that as an excuse to be lazy and be like, yeah, but I'm not built for that stuff. And... Yeah, that's more often than that's actually a genetic problem. So mm-hmm. genetically, yeah, you're going to have to play with the hand you're dealt, you know. You can only blame your parents for your genetics. Um, it might take me a lot longer than it might take you to reach a certain flexibility goal. But, um, yeah, the body is amazing at adaptation, you know. You just tell the body, this is what we need to do. And the body is, if you do it long enough, and enough, it's going to be, okay, get it. I'm going to go and do that. 
Same thing if you're not moving, you know, your body is sufficient in energy. So if you're just sitting in a chair all day, well, it's like, all right, we're not using all those muscles. We're not using that range. Let's not put any effort into that. It works both ways. Do not underestimate the um, ability of the body to adapt. And I can say myself, like I said a couple of times, I have quite a muscular frame, 6'2", weigh 100 kilos. I can do backflips. I can do pancake splits. I can do all kinds of stuff, which you would easily say like, oh, my body's not made for that, you know? And I do them with ease now. So that just tells you just uh, respect your genetics, but also don't hide behind them. Mm, yeah, very well said. And and I think um, what is kind of important is to to really have that focus in your training. If you don't have the genetics to be flexible, um, you have to be disciplined and really show up, do the work, because it's obviously not going to come easy. No, but the best things aren't, you know? Mm -hmm. If you get a goal first try, it's not really going to be um, that interesting of a goal to pursue. If something takes you a year, maybe two years to get, then all of a sudden, like, holy shit, that's, it's, it's about pursuing that goal, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. It's a good thing. It's a blessing and a curse. Hey guys, just a little break to let you know what I've been up to lately during this lockdown. I have created a space in my house where I can teach one-on-one -on -one yoga classes. In real life, no screens, no Zoom, just me and you, and a practice that is tailored to your needs. Whether that be an active or more restorative yoga practice, breathing exercises to balance your energy, or a yoga nidra for better sleep, we can talk about your specific needs and goals and work specifically on that together. So if that's something you're interested in, and if you live in Amsterdam, feel free to connect. You can find all my contact details on my website yeyoga.nl and it's also linked in the description of this episode. Okay, so most people will want to maintain a certain level of fitness, um, including strength and flexibility to be able to just do daily tasks like taking up groceries uh, from the store up to a higher level in their apartment or being able to carry their kids and maybe play around with kids. But you are taking it to a next level with wanting to achieve these massive goals like going into active middle splits, pancake stretches. So I guess a question that I want to ask and that maybe listeners will have as well is why? Why setting the bar this high? <laughs> why? The old why? That's a very good question. Uh, honestly, a bit of it is my personality. I'm just very extreme addictive person. If I do something, I want to do it to the max. But um, it's it's a very addictive journey in practice as well because you got to be very patient with a lot of these um, these high flexibility, honest flexibility, and gymnastic strength goals. It takes a long time to master or something, and then once you do, it just kind of lights the fire to go to the next level. So once you unlock one movement, you want to do the next thing. You want to do the next thing, and um, yeah, it's. I just noticed that this kind of training is just the most honest and most um, intense, intelligent, uh, complex way of training. So I'm talking about honest flexibility training combined with gymnastic strength protocols. That's just, 
um, yeah, it will give your body the hardest task you can think of that I've come across, and it's just intelligent that way, and it translates to a general capability of many activities, which is probably far beyond what you'll ever need in daily life, but it becomes a bit of a, of a mission itself to go on that journey. Like I said, it's very addictive. And I think anyone who's, who's done this knows this. Maybe I have clients who've been working. So I got one client, she came in, really wanted to get a pancake stretch. I started working with her on a one-on-one -on -one basis about two years ago. And she was quite flexible for a normal person, but nothing in those extreme ranges we're talking about. And over the course of six months, we got amazing progress all the way to her sitting in a pancake, uh, legs 90 degrees, belly flat on the floor, like beautiful pancake. So you think like, all right, well, we're done, but that's not how that works. Then she's like, all right, what can we do next? Maybe we can now uh, start working on my pull-ups. Maybe I can do a ring muscle up. Maybe we can get you in a front split or she wants to start tumbling now. And we've been checking out those calls. She got a pretty good handstand now, starting to play around with handstand shapes. She got, she's very strong, she had, uh, she's got couple of sets of five pull-ups in a row probably. So that's pretty cool. And working towards that muscle up now. And yeah, when the weather gets a bit better, we're gonna start trying to work on our backflip. But that's that's the way that goes. I think you notice from your practice as well. Once you see, especially goals, like if you reach a goal which only takes you a week to, to reach, it's not that special. But if you really work something for patiently for some months and then you unlock it, that's only for me, more motivating to see, okay, so I maybe have never thought this was going to be possible. It is possible. What's next? What's next? What's next? Does that work the same for you? Totally. Yeah. I can see with, I guess the handstand was for me. Right. It still remains a big challenge that I started to work on since lockdown, actually. Yeah, but since you, you've been working that, that trapezius strength, you actually became a lot better now. So yeah. your skills actually improving a lot there. Yeah. And it's, it's, definitely the journey and the the mental side of it as well that just that just keeps you motivated I think it translates for me because this is one of the things i'm best in it just translates to different uh, areas of life as well so i use this for for your business or your social life like basically the moral is nothing comes fast anything worth doing it's all about the process not about the goal itself and it takes time so changes will happen you'll get better at your job you'll get better in your relationships but it's gonna go slowly, slowly, a little bit every day, a little bit every day, and then you got it. That's mm. uh, yeah, and definitely like um, working towards extreme goals also includes accepting that sometimes you fail and you fall, and and it's not about the day to day. It's about the, the long. Like some days are gonna be shit, some weeks are gonna be horrible. Then yeah. two months later, you're gonna be oh, that's why I put those shit weeks in because now I'm, now I'm feeling better. Yeah, that's the that's it's like the over, of that. overcoming those yeah. um, bigger challenges where one day you have an amazing training day and then the day after you're back to the starting point. <laughs> yeah, sort of. And then the day after that day, all of a sudden you've achieved way more progress. Exactly. Progress is not like a linear line going up. It's wavy. Like some weeks you will feel like your Hanson's perfect example. Mm. You might feel really out of balance some weeks, but overall, hopefully you're getting better. I think yeah. there's, um, so Christopher Summers, some of you might know from gymnastic bodies became very big, maybe 10 years ago, very good gymnastic coach, focusing on doing programming for, for adults now, general populations. 
Um, I'm not sure why, I think it's a Tim Ferriss interview, but I heard him in some interviews say something which applies to this quite nicely, which is, uh, he was talking about doing work and working massive goals, and he said, well, if I ask someone, all right, come in tomorrow and write me a 300-page book, please, they're going to be like, what am I going to do? That's not going to work. I'm paraphrasing, he probably said it differently. But if I'm going to be like, all right, just write me one page. Just write me one page tomorrow. And the day after, every day, write me one page. And then I check in with that person in a year. He feels like he's barely done anything. And then he wrote 365 pages. Mm. That's the same, you know. you got to be smart, do little, chip away at little goals. Another thing as well is, uh, which becomes very clear, it's about the path and not the goal itself. Like, it's very nice to be on that on that journey, learning your handstand, maybe building a 30-second, getting a tuck, maybe getting a press, maybe getting starting to go play with your one-arm handstand. But every time you check something off, you're like, all right, do I really feel different now? It's pretty cool for a day. You got a picture for Instagram and you're like, yes, I come, but it doesn't really change anything, do you? does it? No. No, it's about working towards it. That's the goal. Yeah. And it's it's good feedback to actually the be goal able to is put a check journey. mark every the goal is a journey. It's a yoga podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> the journey is the destination. It's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> that combined with a bit of an uh, obsessive personality mm. is uh, a recipe for disaster. <laughs> well said. What's also interesting about working towards these goals is the whole journey when we spoke about this last week, when also at some point you, because of a holiday break or something, you rest for a few days. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and you feel like kind of missing out on your training and at first and struggling really hard with not moving and taking that rest and then you come back to your training and all of a sudden you you've achieved this big win yeah yeah that's that's um that's all about rest deloading and overtraining so mm. normally i find it very hard to program rest days for myself which is like to keep busy but you see we talked about this last week you can be that's how i first broke through my pancake i was doing ballistic stretching loaded stretching every day i was trying to get that pancake so pancake is like a middle split with your belly to the ground leaning forward um been at that for about six months getting quite far but not just there getting my head to touch but just not really getting that belly and then but i was doing it every week every day i was like i want to do this i want to do this and i got massively far and then for some reason i think it was a holiday i couldn't really do it for two weeks I came back, boom, belly to the floor. Sometimes your body needs that deload, you know? Mm. And um, yeah, it's good that life sometimes throws it in because like, I would never program that for myself just because it's boring and you don't want it, even though you might not. I would do it for my clients, but I wouldn't do it for myself. But then luckily life sometimes says, no, we can't do that this week. And then you're like, oh shit, now we're better. Mm. Yeah, because you, so you say you would program that for your clients but not for yourself how is it now for you to work with a it's coach horrible, right? <laughs> <laughs> how is it now for you to work with a coach because most of your training you just learn yourself you're an autodidact <laughs> what's the english term exactly um you mean working with lucas now yeah all right so i'm doing a, a teacher training with lucas from range of strength look him up maybe we can put him in as well Lucas Aaron um, and I'm doing his programming that's part of the so it's a very practical training he just throws his programming out there 
and you're just working his stuff. How that is, that, that's very nice. It actually, um, so normally I have to take this all out of myself and it's actually very nice to get some input from someone who knows what they're talking about and take it to a to the next level. A lot of it though, I think maybe about 80% of it, I was already doing myself. But then there's this little nuances in his programming and especially in the middle spec work, there's there's a lot more. Yeah, it's, it's actually, uh, it's a good experience for me. I like it. Yeah, because I remember when you started it, you the first few sessions were kind of light and uh, yeah, they required like, you to slow down. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and you were definitely struggling with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be a bit impatient. That was more about me than about his programming, I think. Yeah, because because in the end, it did work you know, very you, you well. You got to keep right? learning, and you got to keep finding those mentors in life who uh, who have something to offer you, and then you got to be able to follow them and commit to that you know otherwise it's not going to work so you got to be able to say all right i'm going to give this a chance and really do what they say and see what i can take out of that you just never want to stop learning and keep on growing it's important to find the right mentors and when you do to um you have to commit to that yeah to for a moment set aside your your own obsession exactly <laughs> it's always momentarily you can say okay i'm going to do this for three months and then look back and evaluate see what i learned even if it's completely rubbish, there's still probably going to be some valuable teachings in that, you know. It's always good to really, you know, switch that and, yeah, get in a different role. Yeah, get into the Stay student curious, role. Stay curious, yeah, divide, yeah, get information. Yeah. Get into the student role, exactly. Yeah. It's a nice role to be in, I like being a student. It is nice. And I was um, editing the, the interview that I did with David Kem, which should be online right now if you're listening to this <laughs> and he was saying that it's actually as a teacher you have this binocular vision where you're a teacher and a student at the same time because you receive the feedback from your students and in that way you are learning and that exactly. is what you put into your teaching again so it's this i really liked his way of describing that because it, it, it is this feedback loop that Say you that have again, please. so it's this binocular vision, he calls it. So as a teacher, you teach your students, but they give you feedback, which you receive as a student. Again. So you're their student in that sense for their feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Feedback is another thing which is which is interesting, which is very valuable, but you got to take it, um, yeah, in a considerate way, you know. Don't blow up your ego or don't let it emotionally bring you down. It's really good if you. Coaches who can really handle feedback the smart way and know what's what's yours and what's the students because a lot of feedback students give you is, is just their own projections on life and their own stuff like not to the students but some of it might be rubbish if you can separate the rubbish to the stuff like wait a minute they actually have a point like I should look at this or do this better or different that's a very good tool to have as well as a good coach I reckon mm. you understand what I'm saying the yeah emotional totally taking the baggage of the student out of it yeah totally especially like not getting not letting your ego receive the feedback yeah. is a very important one. Definitely, that's another one. <laughs> hey, you like to look up your, uh, your reviews. My reviews on, on ClassPass, yeah. yeah. I actually did it yesterday. I felt a bit rubbish and then I was like, should I or should I not? And I did look it up. How were they? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to double check this. No, I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were. All right. So... Um, we've already spoke a little bit about your own training, but I want to go 
into that topic a bit more. What does your your self practice look like these days? Do you have any daily ritual rituals? I do definitely. So uh, this is a big one. I'm doing a lot of stuff. So I'm doing uh, for for this for these months. I've dedicated my flexibility work to uh, to Lucas to to his programming, which means doing uh, middle split, front split, and uh, thoracic bridge. Again, that's not just doing. These are the benchmark positions where you're doing a front split day. You're working the hip flexors. You're working the hamstrings. When you're doing a middle split day. You're working the doctors. So. It's doing uh, muscular groups and stretches which go around those big muscles. Um, and I'm actually doing extra middle split sessions. So I'm doing his stuff, but then in the rest days, I'll probably be banging out middle split sessions as well. Um, doing my pull-up training. So I'm, doing, I'm working towards my one-arm chin-up, doing a lot of training for that. Doing my hand balancing. That's one thing I do every day. Doing, um, so daily rituals, doing my pranayama and I'm doing my Wim Hof method breathing. So I'm doing those breathing things every day. Um, I need to flip once a day. So I want to increase my back flips and do my tricking. So I need to go uh, keep up with that once a week for myself. Um, yeah, and just keep my general strength training up, my bodyweight strength training. So I'm doing all my stuff like that. And is there anything you do to... Um to counter that activity? Yeah, so I really like uh, getting into my passive stretching to do that. Even just, just listening to a podcast, starting out listening to music and just taking, after a heavy practice at the end of the day, just, just moving around and doing some passive stretches that really helps you get from that um, fight to flight, to that, from that sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system, just to that relaxed mode, to the recovery mode. Yeah. So that's one thing I really like to do. Daily as I think well. I think you're forgetting warm the beds. big yeah. You want to say that one? <laughs> yeah, I like my hot yeah. <laughs> I got you into them as well though, and we're doing our um, our cold water challenge, of course. Yeah, our cold shower and cold. How's that dip. going for you? Um, it's going well. I was I was a bit lazy today, so I did two minutes cold shower. Good. But still okay. Yeah. You're really into it now, eh? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's really good, especially since I, I don't really like the cold. So it's a, it's a good challenge for me. You keep telling me now you walk around and you're cold and you're like, oh no, I can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just in the mind, mm. yeah. You might want to, yeah, maybe your mind might tell your, your listeners what you're up to with that, how you came about doing that and mm, yeah. that's interesting. Or maybe I'm just kind of hijacking your podcast now. Oh no, that's fine. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing more to say, so, so go. Oh, I do have some questions, but we'll, we'll just talk about me and, and dealing with the cold. So, I love to escape European winter. And obviously now with, with COVID, the whole situation, uh, I was forced to um, stay in the Netherlands over the winter. And uh, that's, that kept me... <laughs> that made me realize that, okay, now I should actually train myself and expose myself to colder temperatures so I can, so I can survive this winter. But I didn't really put that into action until we went away for a weekend and, and you said, well, there's also lakes and we can go for a swim maybe. And this was the first weekend of January, so it's really, really cold. Uh, but because it was in nature and it was this beautiful lake, we just decided to go for a dip. And uh, 
it just the the sensations in my body that I felt afterwards were just amazing like how your body reacts to the cold it starts to warm you up and I just had this glowing warm radiating sensation throughout my whole body and uh, it's kind of addictive yeah so now we're doing this 30 day 30 day challenge which is probably going to be Sounds lasting horrible, right? forever because <laughs> I really like it where we just yeah we go for cold showers every day and once a week we um, go for a dip in the cold cold water yeah well said yeah it's really nice um, so that's that now back to teaching what do you think makes a great teacher Well, good question. Um, multiple aspects. Uh, two main ones, I would say, are knowledge and passion. So you've got to be extremely passionate about your what you're doing. Don't get lazy. Don't become at ease. Just keep on developing, really. Because you got to most of it, as a teacher, is a very lonely profession. So you've got to really push yourself to get better and keep getting better and keep getting better. And don't just get at ease. Because people are going to take what you're telling them anyway. So you've got to be honest with yourself. And having that knowledge that I talked about, so just being passionate and not knowledgeable is a bit of a toxic combination. So you gotta have that knowledge, but there's there's many aspects really. But let's keep it with those two: being passionate and having knowledge, and knowing how to share that knowledge as well. That's one of the other ones, exactly. Being yeah. being good with people, being able to communicate is one. Being able to listen, yeah. Yeah. Which teacher or teachers inspire you the most? So I'm working with Lucas a lot at the moment, so I find him very inspirational. Lucas Aaron, um, Ahmed Lewis, Kit Laughlin, uh, Dan Vincent. Not so much a teacher, more as an educator, really. Mm. Um, yeah, those are yeah. Thomas Kurtz. Those are the ones, yes, at the moment. And um, what keeps you motivated as a trainer? Good question. I think I'm just obsessed with it, really. I just want to get better, and I'm just really obsessed with, with the strength and the flexibility game and just getting better with my own physical practice. That it's, it's just very, yeah, if I got passionate students, students who really want to go for it, it's, that's, yeah, that's it for me. That's all I need. Yeah. Yeah, and I can, I can definitely say that I see that in you as well, like when you come back from your weekly mobility and gymnastics uh, classes that you teach, you always are full of energy, Just even hyped. if it's like yeah. late in the evening where you normally are tired. <laughs> yeah. um, you just thrive on that energy and you can just go on for days. <laughs> it's really weird if you're, yeah, I think a lot of your listeners are yoga teachers, they might might understand that having your own practice and then actually being able to that passion because if you're if you're growing a yoga teacher in this case or whatever flexibility coach or strength coach or fitness professional it's really it's probably your passion and that's why you're doing it and then if you're actually that joy it gives you if you're going to be able to to give that to other people and share that passion that's just that's an amazing feeling so that's not just it just takes your own love for that subject and practice to another level if you're able to to pass it forward and give it to other people it's just yeah, to share That's that and nice to, to see very the change. Nice yeah. Being of service. 
Um, so let's wrap it up with some rapid fire questions. Let's do it. Do it. What is the best advice someone ever gave to you? Uh, be patient. Mm. What advice do you have for teachers that are just about to start their teaching career? Uh, learn and start doing, start teaching. So you can have all the theoretical knowledge to all the, the courses, but you gotta get doing it. Start teaching, mess up and get better. That's, that's the best way. Mm. Which book should be on everyone's bookshelf? Doesn't have to be uh, flexibility related, but I can already see that you're trying to reach for your flexibility book. <laughs> you can say it. Stretching scientifically. A guide to flexibility training by Thomas Gertz. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you want to learn about flexibility, that's a very, um, it's, it's an easy read. It's not a thick book as you can see and it's, um, that's a very good one. Yeah. yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, who or what inspires you the most? Many things, many things. I think we've just, I've just named the, the same people eight times already in this interview. Many things. Okay. What's happening here? <laughs> Renee's pointing at herself. <laughs> you inspire me as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> what are you most grateful for today? You. <laughs> next question. <laughs> what do you think I should speak to next? Uh, Kit Laughlin would be amazing if you can get him. Mm, yeah. He likes talking. You don't even need to ask questions. No, me. I don't really have to prepare that interview. <laughs> he would just tell you amazing anecdotes and they're actually going to be interesting as well. Um, yeah, that'd be insane if you could get him. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that was it. All right. Thank you so much My for pleasure. doing this. Thank you for asking me. Is there anything you want to add? Nothing at all. You no. inspire me. Uh, have a good weekend. <laughs> Okay, so if people want to know more about you, train with you, uh, where should they go? Right. Um, so if they want to do a group with me, well, we're in lockdown at the moment, so everything is a bit more well, complicated. Zoom. They can tr join through the internet. So like I said, I'm head coach at a gym called Het Gym Lokaal here. So you can reach me through them. You can reach me through Subas Pagano. That's my Instagram for one-on-one -on -one sessions. I'm having some one-on-one -on -one coaches uh, through Zoom as well as face-to-face. -face. And I guess that's all. Yeah, yeah. cool. Excellent, we'll thank you. to that. Thanks. My pleasure. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got something out of that conversation. I sure did. And if you did as well, you may want to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or give me a star rating. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss another episode. And you can find the show notes with all the links and things that we talked about on my website, yayoga.nl. Also, I'd love to connect with you. So have a look at my Instagram. That's Renee Leeuw, R-E-N-E-E-L-E-E-U-W. I also post my online schedule. That's live until the end of this COVID crisis. So we don't know how much longer that's going to last. But if you want to follow some classes with me online, um, 
my Instagram page is the best way to connect with me and I love to connect with you. So maybe see you there and I hope you tune in on another conversation here on the Yay Yoga podcast.